You're listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, before we address the issues close to home, I want, if you would, my fellow snowbirds, come with me to the Sunshine State. We're going to Florida. Let's go to Florida for two quick stories before we get going. A Florida lawmaker and others are asking a state attorney not to prosecute a woman who was arrested while giving her husband's guns to police after he was charged with trying to run her over. Courtney Irby spent six days in jail on charges of armed burglary and grand theft after she brought the guns from her husband's apartment to the police. Joseph Irby was spending one day in jail at the time, accused of trying to run her over. The couple is divorcing. She had obtained a temporary injunction against him and told police her husband wouldn't turn the guns in. She takes the guns in. She gets arrested. Now, if you think that story's crappy, how about this one? Court officials say a Florida man charged with burglary defecated during his criminal trial and tried to throw his feces at the judge. It did not reach her. There were no jurors present during Friday's incident. Witnesses say dozens of corrections officers responded. The trial was moved while the courtroom was sanitized. There's been a fouling of the courtroom. You ever go to a local pool? You ever go to take your kids to the pool? The pool's closed because of a fouling. And you're like, oh, I don't want to know what that is. But here's the kicker to this story, folks. Jurors subsequently acquitted the man of the burglary charge. He still faces another trial for grand theft auto, but it's unclear whether he'll face any charges involving the feces. We're going to Florida. Let's get back from Florida, shall we? And a question at Queens Park. Is Dino really gone Has the reign of terror from Dean French finally lifted from Queens Park? Well, there is all kinds of speculation that maybe that was not the case because the chief of staff was spotted today in the halls of Queens Park. And according to Rob Benzie... The former chief of staff, Dean French, has now parted ways with the progressive conservative re-election campaign. Mr. French is no longer part of the election readiness committee. He has returned to the private sector, that according to the Ontario PC party director of communications. But staffers apparently were stunned when French showed up for work this morning. Now this, according to... To Travis Danraj, who tweeted this morning this statement from the Ontario Premier's office, Dean French came to Queen's Park this morning to pack up his office. He said goodbye to staff, thanked them for their hard work, and continued service to the Premier and the people of Ontario. Dean French is returning to the private sector. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. The other story, of course, we are watching today. You heard a little bit about it in the news. Keyside. Sidewalk Labs in Waterfront, Toronto, are right now talking to reporters and briefing journalists about their details. After an 18-month wait, we finally have a look at what the plans are from Sidewalk Labs. This is all about a 12-acre parcel of land near Queen's Quay and Parliament Street. Currently, it's just got aging warehouses, parking lots. It's an unused area. Now, Sidewalk Labs is an urban innovation firm, which is a sister company, and of course you know this, of Google. Just giving you an idea of what's happening today, 
Right now, that briefing is underway. It's under embargo. Dan Doctoroff, the CEO of Sidewalk Labs, will be addressing the media again under embargo. And then 2 o'clock today, it all lifts and the information comes flooding out. So prepare yourself for a Sidewalk Labs keyside tsunami of information just about to come your way. You also heard in the news about Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse is the new coach of the Canada's men's basketball team. That was announced today. That is, of course, just two weeks after Nick Nurse, my doppelganger, was uh, crowned champion after he guided our glorious Raptors to that win. Camille Caramali is with us on the phone and was at that news conference where Nick Nurse was talking earlier today. Hello, Camille. Hello, Alan. Looks like uh, you and I can't get away from basketball, can we? And who wants to? Because basketball has been very good to me. (laughs) Before we get on to the news of the day, may I just, I just want to drop a beat on you. I believe... It is Camille Caramali's birthday. Oh, you remembered. Drop that. <laughs> Drop that happy birthday Drake beat. Look at that. Uh, uh. I'm just gonna we're just gonna ride this out as you tell us about Nick Nurse. Okay, well, Let I that be doing right. a little bit of a dance move here in the parking lot of the Ovo Athletic Center, but no big deal. Uh, yeah, you know what? He said he's absolutely honored. He seemed very pleased. Uh, he uh, talked a bit about his past experience as a uh, leading assistant coach for the British basketball team during the 2012 Olympic Games and said how he's going to lean on that and said, you know, he's looking forward for the rest of the team being assembled. Uh, as you know, he has the FIBA World Cup ahead of him that begins August 31st, runs to the runs to mid-September. And that is uh, in China. It's really the qualifying event to the 2020 uh, Summer Games in Tokyo. So that is the goal to make it to those Olympic Games. Uh, you know, Canada hasn't made it to those Olympic Games in a while. I believe it was, uh, what was it last, Alan? Do you remember? I think it was 2000? Or when, when, would, that, when would that have been? Uh, you know what? I'm just going to go to Nick Nurse here. I'm going to just, here's what I do. Is That's a great question, Camille. Here's, <laughs> I, I, I let's hear from Nick Nurse. Truly honored to be sitting here in this position. I really am. It's um, obviously the last uh, couple months have been very humbling and and really amazing to see the country and the city and and everybody um, get excited about basketball in this country. That is Nick Nurse talking about how truly humbled he was. Let me give, give me that beat again as I bring Camille back in. <laughs> hey, I did figure it out, by the way. Yeah, did you? Okay, got it. 2000 in Sydney was the last time Team Canada made it to the uh, Team Canada's basketball team made it to the Olympic Games. So. Uh, good 19 years. Man, I, am I ever aging myself on my birthday? I think I am. I, are you even 19 years old yet? <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I mean, you I get a pass on not knowing that because I don't think you were born yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was very much alive. Thank you, though, for the flattery. When you turn 33, I'll take 19 any day. Oh, congratulations, my young friend. Thank you so much. Camille Caramali, ladies and gentlemen. Happy birthday, Ratchet. <laughs> Thanks as always, Alan Carter. You can uh, watch uh, Camille's story tonight on Global News beginning at 5.30, where he'll have more of what was said at that press conference today, where Nick Nurse was named the Canada's men's team head coach of uh, on our, our attempt 
to you know get going to the Olympics and show what this country is truly capable basketball wise. And of course, the basketball hysteria continues, does it not? <laughs> and it's always right there. It is always right there, ladies and gentlemen. Staring out the window. Wish the bell would ring. Thinking of a lifestyle. Vacation can bring. The fun lies ahead. I'll do what I like. Take a ride on my bike. I'll be wild away the summer day. Do you go, when you go on vacation, do you check out Airbnbs? Do you use Airbnbs? Do you rent out a space on your own to Airbnbs? Did you know that 31,000 homes across this country were rented out so often on Airbnb in 2018 that they were likely removed from the long-term rental supply? That is according to a groundbreaking study by McGill University researchers. Now, this report is the most comprehensive analysis of Airbnb's impact to date. and reveals the extent of the global rental service footprint, even as our local officials you know, try and come up with rules that target short-term rentals and try and get a grip on really what is a runaway epidemic right around the world. I am joined by David Walksmuth, who is a professor at the McGill School of Urban Planning and one of the co-authors of this report. Hello, David. Hi, nice to speak to you. Thanks for being here. I noticed a quote here from you that your research shows that we interact with these short-term rentals far more than we really think. What do you mean by that? Yeah, well, you know, I think a lot of us have in our mind Airbnb and the other short-term rental platforms as a really convenient and kind of interesting option to use when we go on vacation. But, of course, most of us don't go on vacation very often, which means, you know, we use these services maybe once a year at best. But in reality, if we live in a Canadian city, we're actually interacting with short-term rentals all the time because they're exerting systematic and actually increasing pressure on housing costs and rents in, um, in, in every city across the country. And does that have a trickle-down effect in, in terms of other kinds of costs as well? It's not just people out there trying to find those rental accommodations. That's right. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, basically it starts with somebody who's looking for a new place to live, you know, they're, they're trying to find an apartment or they're trying to buy a house, they're going to confront um, higher rents or higher housing prices than they would have if we didn't have Airbnb in our cities. Um, and that kind of has a like, you kind of, you know, trickle down and kind of knockout effects on um, housing prices more generally because that affects, the, the, you know, the, the rent that the landlord is going to charge next time they've got a vacancy or the, the housing price, you know, the, the seller's going to charge next time that the house is up for sale. So it does kind of trickle out of these particular neighborhoods with a lot of short-term rentals into broader communities. Well, was your data um, countrywide or, or, or nationwide, and, and how does that um, accommodate or take into uh, account the attempts by local uh, municipal officials, whether here in Toronto or Vancouver or Montreal, wherever, to try and regulate that. Yeah, so what we did was we actually looked at 
every single Airbnb listing in Canada on every single day from September 2016 to December 2018. So we have millions, hundreds of millions of data points that we then had, you know, you can imagine, had to do quite a lot of work to kind of bring them together and identify the trends. But what it meant is that we got a really comprehensive look of at what um, how Airbnb is kind of, you know, how that activity is happening in the country and also how it's changing. Um, and so one of the things that's interesting is that the time period we were looking at coincided with Vancouver introducing pretty strong new regulations on short-term rentals. So we were able to kind of see what happened there. Um, unfortunately, Toronto's tried to do the same and those regulations haven't gone into effect yet. So we're still kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. What is the long-term impact, if you can look out five or ten years, if this sustained growth, because what you look at here in, in terms of the graphs and charts, and I, nobody loves a chart more than me. I, I like a pie <laughs> chart is my favorite. But if you look at the graphs, the exponential growth of these things, do you, th- do you see it leveling off, off or just having a continued impact? Well, I think what we see is a kind of shift in how the growth is happening. So if you go back a number of years, what you, what you find is that um, Airbnb was growing really fast in Montreal, ab- above all, and it kind of spread to Toronto and Vancouver. And then from there, it's been spreading to smaller communities. And so what we see is that actually it's rural areas that are growing now twice as fast as the big cities on Airbnb, both in terms of how many listings there are, there are and then also how much money those listings are earning. Um, we see the exact same patterns when we look at the housing loss that, you know, there's definitely, it's mostly concentrated in the big cities right now. But again, if you compare 2018 to 2017, we see that rural areas lost twice as many new homes, you know, kind of uh, uh, as a rate um, as the big cities did. So I think what, what we would expect to see continue is that the growth in kind of total Airbnb listings is, is leveling off in the big cities because eventually there's, you know, everybody who wants to do it is doing it. But there are many, many, many communities, particularly kind of on the edges of the big cities, where um, we think that the growth is going to accelerate if, um, you know, if, if regulations don't kind of take aim at that. David Walksmith is a professor in the McGill School of Urban Planning and a fascinating look at the impact of Airbnb on our everyday lives. Thanks so much for being with us, David. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I want to peel back the onion really quickly on some financial brouhaha that's going on in terms of financial advisors. Now, normally we don't have squabbling financial advisors in the news, but this is what is actually happening. It began with an article from CNBC that basically said... Americans, you know, and you can include Canadians in that, are throwing a million dollars down the drain by buying a coffee every day. A million dollars was just being hucked out the window. And then USA Today weighed in with Americans spend $18,000 a year on unessential or non-essential items. Eighteen grand just out the window on things you don't need. Well, now the New York Times has weighed in and is calling this the summer of bad financial advice. Because what it says in the New York Times is that to think that buying the coffee or not buying the coffee has any impact on your ability to be a millionaire is absolutely ludicrous. Because the simple fact of the matter is that if you are of a certain age... If you are from the ages of 18 to 40, growth in terms of the economy and your ability to amass wealth is simply not there. So go ahead, get a coffee, because you're not going to get ahead anyway. That seems rather dire and dark, does it not?
Rabina Ahmed Hawk is a personal finance journalist, and I don't know where you are, Rabina. Welcome, hello, by the way. Thank you for having me, Alan. I don't know where you are on the side of this war, but uh, it, it seems that there are entrenched opinions on both sides of this divide. There is a lot of bad advice and a lot of finger-wagging that goes on, especially uh, towards young people, on things that they spend on that makes them happy uh, that maybe someone over the age of 50 might think is a complete waste of time. But what those people over the age of 50 forget is probably the generation ahead of them when they were in their 20s was probably doing the same finger-wagging. So I think the message really needs to be about making sure that young people are saving money, making sure that young people are uh, staying on top of their debts and not getting into bad debt like credit card debt, not necessarily uh, spending money on coffee or avocado toast or even, you know, I've heard a lot of criticism on, oh, young people spend so much money on Uber. Well, would you rather have them driving around after they've been at the bar? I mean, they can't win is what my uh, my opinion is in some ways. The Times writes that for Americans under the age of 40, the 21st century has resembled one long recession, which is difficult to square with what the market has done, because we have, again, if you take 2008 and then you just take that dip out, it has been a long, and that was a significant dip, but it has been a long bull market, but not for young people. Well, I mean, if a young person graduated university in 2008 and got a uh, you know a job out of university, if it paid even fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year, and started saving money in the stock market, they'd be doing very well ten years down the road because we've seen uh, double-digit growth year after year in some cases where the markets returned at twenty, thirty percent. Yes, there were years where it wasn't that much, but if you stayed consistent, didn't you know sell out when you all of a sudden got greedy? Ten years later, you would say, "Wow, that money has really grown." And the number one advice I give people is save constantly, consistently, every time you get paid. Don't just put the money in in February when, you know, when it's RSP, uh, the deadline is coming up and you're freaking out because you haven't put enough money in. Uh, But again, going back to this, you know, article about coffee and all these little things, I mean, the bigger stuff is what we should worry about. What interest rate are you paying on your mortgage? What kind of debt are you carrying and how much is it costing you? Um, And are you making good decisions? You know, you can buy coffee, but you can buy coffee at the cheaper coffee shop. No. Maybe at the most expensive. No, no. (laughs) No. Some of the things that you can do actively uh, to save money. And I do, uh, when we get into it, Alan, I do have some tips, quick tips that every person, young or old, can do to save money. Oh, I thought you were going to give us tips to get better coffee for cheaper, because I don't think that exists. <laughs> I don't drink coffee, and so I think I get, what? you know, sometimes I don't drink coffee. I had an episode when I was pregnant four years ago where my heart went crazy, and I, I stopped drinking coffee. It scares the heck out of me Oh, now, man. <laughs> do, do you consume caffeine in any form? Oh, tea. I'll drink tea. Oh, and, right. But I, I mean, it's too much information. But really, I had coffee. I didn't have a good reaction, and it just kind of scared me off coffee. For uh, life. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, but would you still, would you say that, you know, that fancy pants tea that you get uh, in the morning, <laughs> and it's got to be the English breakfast, that's the only thing you'll have, uh, <laughs> and it's got to be that, and you're, and you're spending the extra dollar for it, but it gives you a sense of luxury. It gives you a sense of, you know, well-being to begin your day. As a personal finance advisor, are you going to take that away from me? (laughs) Well, you know, I I don't advise people on uh, 
particularly on what they should do with their money in that finger-wagging way. I mean, I really just provide tips. And my tip is if you feel good about that drink in the morning, whether it be a coffee or a hot chocolate or a tea, and you consume it in a way that brings you value, then that's fine. Um, There are other ways that you can save money, like some of the things that I mentioned. But, you know, you mentioned spontaneous purchases and impulse purchases. BMO did a survey. Now, this is going back to 2012, but it's the latest one they did. The Canadians spend about $5,400 on impulse purchases. Um, And an impulse purchase, on average, is about $72. So that's something that you actually can control, where if I run into a friend, we don't have to just go out for dinner right away. We can make a plan down the road. Um, If I see a top that I like, I don't have to buy it right away. I can think about it and then maybe go back and purchase it. Because those are the things that tend to add up rather than that coffee or tea that you're enjoying in the morning. Oh, I made the mistake of going to the mall this weekend. Why I went to the mall, I don't know. Because it was a gorgeous weekend, but I found myself in the mall. And you are so right about those impulse buys. Because you just, you're wandering through there. And here's what I do. This is my, I'm, I'm, such, a, I'm such a cheap guy that I go in and I, I just go immediately to the sale rack. And I hunt through the sale rack. And then if I find anything that actually fits me... I think, well, this is gold. I'll take this. And it doesn't matter if I want it or if I need it or if it even looks good. It's on sale. I have to have it. I can't afford not to buy it. It's not a deal unless you need it. That's what I say to people all the time. Even if it's five bucks for a T-shirt that's been marked down from $95, if you don't need it, it's not a deal. And that is, you know, that's the one criticism I I have about things like Black uh, Friday shopping and Boxing Day shopping. And even now, as we're getting into summer, in July, we're going to see all those summer sales. So all the summer stuff is going to start getting cleared out so they can make room for back to school. I know I can't even believe I said that. Oh my goodness. um, That's what happens right in July. They try to clear the shelves. There is something called the mall phenomena. They did a survey on this and the average person spends $105 every time they step into a mall. So just think about that next time you think, oh, I want to go window shopping. Oh, it's a rainy day. Let's go check out, see what's at the mall. You're probably going to end up spending $100. So if you don't want to spend $100, don't go. And you're going to save yourself uh, money on either food court purchase or something you picked up, something that you didn't need, basically. You know, suddenly that coffee seems cheap in comparison. Rabina Ahmed Huck, a personal finance journalist, always uh, great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, Alan. It's a very long world out there. I try so hard sometimes, only to fail. When I really feel it's getting rough, pick up the phone and I hit you up. I hope that you understand. It's seven times, put your life on the line, and you know you'll be fine. It's a sign. It is increasingly dangerous on the streets of this city as a pedestrian, as a cyclist, as any any kind of what's known as a vulnerable road user, uh, anyone who is not encased in metal and speeding down the road. And increasingly, we are having to find ways to try and better protect those vulnerable road users. And this is not about a war on the car. It's more about some common sense in terms of enforcement, in terms of design, and behavior in ter- on, the behar- on the behalf pardon me, of drivers. Now, earlier today, the Toronto Police outlined some of the things that they will be doing coming up this summer to try and crack down and try and make things just a little bit safer for pedestrians. Here is Staff Sergeant Brett Moore 
on some of the targeting that officers will be doing. Monday through Friday, officers are going to be deployed on both days and afternoons because, again, that's where the analytics say and point out where these officers are needed the most. Um, these are to conduct, I guess, zero tolerance uh, enforcement. Friday and Saturday nights, officers are going to be out specifically looking and targeting impaired drivers. This isn't ride as you've typically seen it. This is going to be officers mobile, on patrol, looking for impaired drivers both by alcohol and drug. And again, they are really focusing on alcohol and drugs and impaired drivers because regardless what the social abhorrence of it is and all of the campaigns, it is still a scourge. It is still a killer on the streets of this city. Just last week it was, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but I also want to play this for you because here is the staff sergeant again putting the onus on you to call in, to report. If you see someone that you believe is impaired, listen to what he has to say. If you suspect some, somebody is uh, driving impaired, please consider this to be a crime in progress and call 911. We will allocate officers. That is a priority call for us, and we will send officers to investigate that. Allow us, give us, you are the additional eyes and ears on our roads um, that we need, and we need that assistance. And if someone had seen the young man who was alleged to have killed a pedestrian last weekend. If someone had reported that as a crime in progress, perhaps what happened on Friday would have been different. A Toronto man appearing on court Friday, charged with impaired driving by drugs causing death. Catherine McDonald covered this tragic story, and she joins me on the line now. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Alan. This happened Thursday, correct? That's right, Thursday afternoon around 1.15 at Dundas and Regent Park Boulevard, uh, right after a woman had dropped her children back off at school after the lunch hour. She was standing at the corner waiting for the light to change when uh, she was hit by an out-of-control vehicle that mounted the curb, hit uh, a fire hydrant before striking her, and uh, she was uh, killed right there at the scene. Uh, it was quite quite a, a horrible scene for many people who walked by who saw this, even her her brother, uh, who had just dropped her off, uh, they had just been at school together dropping off their children. They, he, he saw uh, a woman lying under a tarp, and he wondered if it was his own sister, and sure enough, it was. And there are allegations of that the driver then left the scene and, and was uh, perhaps arrested in a nearby store? What do we know about that? So witnesses tell me, uh, I spoke to a witness on Friday who said he, he actually saw the man uh, get out of the car. He said he, he didn't look, uh, he looked dazed. Um, he thought he was impaired somehow, um, and uh, he said that he ran into a nearby Tim Hortons, uh, and uh, he went right into the bathroom where he allegedly was trying to wash the blood off his hands and face. Uh, of course, it didn't take long before police found him and put him under arrest. Not only was he charged with uh, impaired operation of a conveyance, which is the new charge by death, caused death, uh, dangerous driving caused death, fail, failing to leave the scene of an accident, but he was also charged with not having any insurance or license. Yeah, was the vehicle, do we know the vehicle was registered in his name? Is it, there's no allegations of theft. We don't know that, no, we do not know anything. Uh, the accused, 40-year-old Joshua Smoke, uh, uh, appeared in court. His his bail hearing was put over till tomorrow. Uh, I do believe the same man uh, works nearby. Um, I, someone, one of our viewers pointed out to me, sent me a, a note saying it, it appears someone by the same name uh, works just down the street. So uh, 
you know, theoretically, he was coming from work one fifteen in the afternoon, and uh, or perhaps he was going to work. There were uh, there were a number of different conflicting theories about which way he was driving at the time of the of the uh, collision. Uh, but uh, for now, the accused will not be. He's in. He's behind bars, awaiting this bail hearing. We're speaking with Catherine McDonald, Global's crime reporter. And Catherine, you have a story coming up tonight, which is also fascinating about something that's happening in Peel region and a bit of a recruitment drive. What is that? Well, in, in, in light of Bill uh, 21 in, in uh, Quebec, which bans religious symbols from employees in positions of authority, civil servants, um, the Peel Region Police Services Board uh, passed a motion last Friday in that they will be advertising uh, that they will be recru- that they are looking for police recruits and they will be advertising in Quebec and they have a very good public service uh, announcement that they've done that you can find on YouTube where they they show the diversity of the police force here in Peel. I am actually in Brampton right now. I'm, I'm about to interview the man who who tabled the motion. It was seconded by the uh, the mayor of Brampton. Um, Patrick Brown, and he tells me that this will be extended this week that when they go to uh, the city of Brampton, they're going to be trying to pass this the same motion uh, to advertise uh, for the need for first responders, not just uh, police officers, but also for paramedics and fire uh you know, firefighters. So they're going to be, from what I understand, speaking to Ron Chatha, who is the uh, member of the police services board here in, in Peel, who brought this motion forward, there may be other police forces across Canada and who will be following suit. So this could be a bit of a movement to try and recruit people from Quebec who are looking to um, get into the public service, who in Quebec would not be able to wear, for example, a hijab or or, um, you know, whatever whatever they want to wear, uh, which would, uh, you know, in Quebec they couldn't wear. Catherine, always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Alan. Have a great day. Really quickly, a couple of stories. I saw that this entire Air Canada situation with the woman who somehow was left on the plane has now been picked up by the Washington Post, is now making news around the world and Air Canada. Other than saying that uh, this incident did happen, says it just continues to investigate. It's looking into how crew members could have disembarked from the plane without noticing that sleeping passenger who was left behind. The airline was responding to an incident involving a woman who described waking up all alone on a cold, dark aircraft. Quickly, we move to JetBlue, other airline news. JetBlue Airways has now sued Walmart for trademark infringement if the, after the world's largest retailer began using the name JetBlack for its text-based personal shopping service. So JetBlue suing Walmart over JetBlack over trademark infringement, which leads me to Taylor Swift, who has now put her newest pet on the payroll. Yes, Benjamin Button, the cat, has now been trademarked. Are you stupid? Are you dumb? See how we went there? Airplanes, right to Tay-Tay. Seamless. It's professional, folks. This is how this is done. 
I want to bring in my producer, Rebecca Coots, who was in the park this weekend at a six, a five-year-old's? Six-year-old, yeah. Six-year-old. Six. Yeah. A six-year-old's birthday party, and what happened? So we're still, we're all there in the park. It's oh, this is day. the actual... Beautiful. This is the sound of it now. This is the sound of it. We're taking you right there. Just imagine yourself here in the park. It's sunny. Some six-year-olds having There's a good time. There's some illicit balloons hanging around because those are actually technically not really allowed. If they get let go, you can get a fine for that. Yeah. You, yeah. Illicit balloons like they were filled with hydro they had, smoke? Yeah. <laughs> they were filled with a substance lighter than air. Oh. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now let's, yeah. let, let's get just back also, up here for uh, a second. Now back up. <laughs> So here you are, you're at the six-year-old's birthday party, the cake is being served, and a couple of bylaw officers wander up and say what? Uh, the bylaw officers come by and they say, uh, we just want to make you aware that the next time you'd want to have a party like this, you must uh, permit this. Uh, there are certain things here which you may not have. You have moved a park table. You can't do that. Uh, you, we had a shade tent. You can't have that. We had balloons there, which um, if we were to let go, you could have a fine for that. Uh, there was a gathering of more than 25 people because uh, there were two kids having birthdays, so probably each party had a little less than that, but yeah, that's not allowed either. So you're over that key 25 number, because I'm looking here, 60811 in the Toronto Municipal Code, because I just happen to have that. Uh, uh, a, unless authorized by permit, no person should hold a picnic, organized gathering, or special event for more than 25 persons. So my cult gathering this weekend is off. <laughs> and you can't play soccer either because there's no organized sport allowed in parks. No organized sport allowed in parks unless you have a permit. Unless authorized by permit, also 60813. No person shall dwell, camp, or lodge in the park. So no lodging. Now, the fascinating thing about all of this was that the, the information officers that were sent out actually didn't necessarily know all the information. They ha- they misquoted several things in the bylaw. And part of that is this bylaw is 34 pages long. It includes everything from boating and mooring to parties to sports. It's it's crazy long, yo. Like, they didn't even know some of the specifics in the bylaw, even though they were there to help us understand it, which sort of boggles my mind. Under bicycles, 608.29, B, while in a park, no person shall be, obstruct, inconvenience, or endanger other users of the park while riding or operating a bicycle. <laughs> I, I was down at the beaches this weekend, and I'm going to say there were some six-year-olds who were violating that. Because, you know, they just, they get on the bikes and the trikes and then they're out there and, you know, so are we going to give them a fine? I feel really bad about the twinkly, twinkly lights thing. Oh, and the, and the kites. You can't fly a kite. You can't be in 25 meters of a tree with a kite in a park. Well, now I was just looking at kites. Let me just scroll back to where that was because it's, uh, it's just before skating and model aircraft. Well, also gliders and hot air balloons are not allowed in mm-hmm. case you're, uh, you have to have a permit. No person should tether, launch, or land a hot air balloon. <laughs> yes, you cannot. Uh, you can't do that. Oh, here, sure. here's here's kites. Six oh eight twenty five. Uh, while in a park, no person shall uh, one fly a kite with string made of hazardous materials. So no strings made of mercury. Two fly a kite within twenty five meters of any tree, building, light pole, or hydro or other utility pole. Twenty five meters. City. <laughs> so like, if you go find yourself a parking lot, kids. But this isn't a park, Dad. Well, this is where you have to fly your kite. Fly a kite in parking lots, roadways, or pathways. So number three, now I just, <laughs> I have now just given my kid a fine, told him to do the wrong thing. 
Uh, subsection 4, fly a kite for the purpose of competitive flying unless authorized by permit. 5, fly a kite where posted to prohibit kite flying. Or 6, leave in the park any part of the kite, including the string or any other type of tethering material, except in the waste disposal container. So, if you break the law by flying your kite too close to a tree and it gets stuck in the tree, that is also an infringement of a bylaw. And if you're standing in a parking lot while doing it, also an infringement of the bylaw. I'm also going to say that my two-year-old has broken the bylaw many times uh, because you're not allowed to get nude in parks, and uh, yeah, she's done that. Yeah. Yeah, same, same. Um, what did the officers say? Did they give you tickets to the six-year-old birthday party people? Uh, no, they were they were actually enforcing uh, off-leash that day, so they weren't enforcing the uh, the party. Uh, they actually were sort sort of super excited about our piñata. Thought that was great. Although I'm sure that's also not allowed. But uh, you know, did any of the kids just mistakenly bash each other in the head with the? Because I always love that when that happens. So it's like go get the piñata, and then some six year old swings around and just nails somebody like an adult squares them. We've had a lot of close calls. Yeah. I say this to all the time to my son now, who is is eleven and bigger. But I said I tell him like, listen, for about five years there, from between the ages of th- maybe three and a half, four to nine, he would run at me when I come home from work with his head down. He's got a giant melon, and just it got to a point where I almost had to wear you know protective gear come to come home because he would just square you. And nobody tells you that when you're a dad, when you're going to be a father. Oh, uh, by the way. You, your, your son's going to put you down hard a bunch of times. <laughs> Rebecca Coots, thank you so much for being here. Rebecca Coots, of course, is the producer of this program. We have a couple of minutes here for a little rip and read. If you haven't been with the show before, this is what we do. Is Rebecca, she curates a bunch of stories that she picks, and she prints them out, and she brings them to me, and I've never seen them before. You're welcome. Thank you very much. I've never seen these. I'm reading this ice cold. We call this rip and read. And I'm going to do this Keanu Reeves style. I'm not going to touch anybody. I'm just, my hands are going to float near people. Hit me with a beat. Because I am the one. The anchor man. Rippin'. Readin'. NASA tracking 984 feet asteroid that will almost graze Earth in hours. The U.S. Space Agency first recorded and named this spaced rock nine years ago. It's classed as a near-Earth object because of the sheer proximity at which it will pass by the planet, according to NASA. The rock, which is currently traveling at a speed of 28,200 miles per hour, will come within 0.01961 astronomical units of the Earth's center. We're doing daredevil dandies on these mics. Penis plant stands erect at Scottish Gardens. A plant known for its foul stench is standing erect at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh, Scotland, also known as the penis plant or corpse flower. It's in full bloom at the Botanical Gardens for a third time. Obviously that plant's a teenager if it's going around for the first third time. Ants infest United Airlines flights. Snakes on a plane have nothing on ants in a passenger's pants. Boom! A United Airlines flight from Venice to Newark had a load of extra stowaways or ants on Monday. NBC New York reported that the insects reportedly spilled out from a bag in an overhead bin began crawling around the cabin. Rippin'. We're reading. 
And now I'm off to be an anchor man in Don Mills Global News, 5.30. Until then, we'll see you again tomorrow. Don't let the door hit you on the way out.